Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Bethany McClellan. In this episode, I speak with Vicky Dawson, CEO of The Sleep Charity. Vicky started the charity herself in 2012 after personally struggling with her son's sleeping pattern. The charity are raising awareness about the importance of sleep and campaigning for more support for those who struggle with sleep. Their mission is to help highlight the importance of sleep in terms of our well-being. They believe that sleep should sit at the heart of well-being strategies and they therefore work with employers to ensure that the sleep needs of the employees are well supported. The charity also work in partnership with families and offer a very gentle approach to making long-lasting changes to children's sleep patterns. In this episode, Vicky discusses changes to sleep patterns which may have occurred due to the pandemic, how parents can seek help from the charity if they are struggling to get their children to sleep, and how sleep can affect our productivity and mental health. Thank you so much to Vicky for her input and insight on this topic. It was great to learn more about sleeping habits and what makes for a good night's sleep. This episode is kindly brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So thank you very much to them for sponsoring us. And without further ado, here is Vicky Dawson. So welcome Vicky to Charity Chat. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, did you want to start by just kind of introducing yourself and introducing the charity and telling us a bit about what your mission is? Yes, so my name is Vicky Dawson and I'm the CEO of the Sleep Charity. So we were formerly the Children's Sleep Charity, but we have been through a rebrand and a change in terms of our constitution. So we are now the Sleep Charity. And I set up the charity in 2012 and we are all about empowering the nation to get a better night's sleep. So we do lots of different kinds of work. So we, we work on a one-to-one basis in some areas with families who've got children who've got chronic sleep issues. We also offer training and um, sort of webinars for corporate clients. And we're really about sending a positive message out there that sleep is important for well-being and we need to highlight that importance um, across the country. Amazing. I think it's really cool. I think it's, yeah, we definitely need more information about it. So I think it's really good. Um, So I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit um, a minute ago, but how important is sleep to us and how can a lack of sleep affect us? Yeah, I think sleep is something that we sometimes just take for granted when it's going really well. And it isn't until you go through a period of sleep deprivation and that you recognise how fundamental it is. Because when you are sleep deprived, it affects every area of your life. So it affects sort of mental health. So the, the, the sort of research links between things like anxiety increasing and sleep deprivation and also depression and sleep deprivation. And we don't feel at our best when we're sleep deprived. Um, you know, it affects things like emotional regulation. And you can think about that in terms of children who may find it harder to regulate emotion. But also on a personal level, you can be much more tearful, much more touchy about things if you've not had that good night's sleep. 
And there's a physical aspect of it as well. And there's lots of different research papers out there linking sleep deprivation to um, different sorts of um, health conditions. And certainly we know there's a, a link between things like obesity and sleep issues. Um, also a link between things like your immune system becoming lowered, so therefore catching all the sort of coughs, colds, bugs that might be going around if you are sleep deprived. And links to things like um, sort of concentration, learning ability, all kinds of different aspects. And it's the social side of things as well that I think is often missed. So it's things around, you can become very lonely when you're sleep deprived or if you've got a sleep issue. Because when you're awake in the night, it's like the loneliest place in the world because you tend to look out of the window, everybody else seems to be asleep, and yet you can't force sleep, so you can't make yourself go to sleep. So what do you do? And that, that brings sort of feelings of isolation at times. And as a nation, it's something that we don't particularly talk about. You know, people may say that they're tired, and it's like, yeah, so am I. Well, that's not, you know, that's not helpful when actually someone's telling you I've got a chronic sleep issue. Or if you're a parent, for example, and you've got a sleep dif difficulty with your child, there can be quite a lot of judgment around that in terms of parenting. Um, so there's an awful lot of work that we've got to do. And what I'm really passionate about is trying to make sleep a positive thing. So instead of focusing on all these negatives, so we know that if we're sleep deprived, all these negative things can happen, but can we sort of flip that? And if we get good sleep in place, what are the benefits of that? How is sleep gonna help us to achieve our full potential? And trying to move away from this sleep is for the weak culture to actually, we need sleep or we are gonna be weak and actually sleep's our friend and these are the reasons why it can affect us in all kinds of positive ways so in terms of the way that we look for example so we don't tend to look our best when we're tired you know we can look paler have dark circles um it may be that we don't take care of our appearance as much when we're tired because we just can't be bothered you lose that motivation to to do the simplest of things it could be in terms of things like sporting performance. So um, we know that while, while we're asleep, our body repairs, um, and that can help in terms of sporting achievements. We also know that reaction times can be improved um, as a result. It may be thinking about the positives in terms of if you're driving, you know, and the safety elements, you're much safer if you've had a good rest. Um, and also you've got to feel much better and it's really difficult to sort of put a price on those things in terms of that you've had a good night's sleep and you wake up you feel refreshed you're ready to go you're positive about the day you're not dreading bedtime like you're in a good place because you are well rested in terms of your body and your mind and Sometimes we delay sleep, which is like a ridiculous thing to do, but we do, you know, you don't see animals trying to delay the sleep, but we try and sort of go over that. I can, I can continue, I can carry on. And what we need to recognize is that actually sleep can be helpful for whatever tasks we might be doing. So things like if you're trying to um, complete something for work or if you're studying for exams, 
Sleep can help consolidate memory, uh, consolidate learning, sorry, um, help you to recall things more easily. Um, so those are so many positives about it. In the pandemic, and I don't think there's many things that hasn't been affected by the pandemic, but in kind of your experience, what have you seen? Are people sleeping less now because they're more stressed and more anxious or are people sleeping more and kind of what have the effects been of the pandemic? Yeah, so they've been mixed. Um, and I think that's the thing about sleep. Everyone has personal experience of it. So although we all do it, we all do it differently. Um, so we've had some reports of people who've been sleeping better and that might be because they have previously had roles in terms of jobs or if people, uh, if we're talking about young people, um, schools where they've had to get up at an earlier time, but actually their natural body clock means that they function better sort of staying up later at night and then having that longer sleep in the morning so some people have changed sort of the body clocks around and found that they've slept better because they've been working with those natural rhythms um, some people have slept better in terms of finding that they've not felt the stress because they've not had to go into some social situations that might have caused them anxieties in the past so particularly when we've worked with children who have got a diagnosis of autism in particular we've had some reports that actually sleep's been improved in some cases not in all of course also sometimes around children who might have been bullied in um, school they may have felt some relief at being at home um, and then we've had on the other side of that, the flip side, we've had the children and adults who are reporting that sleep patterns have been very different. So the most common one across the board is that sleep patterns have shifted. So going to bed later, waking later, seen a lot of that. And then trying to sort of get up at the usual time all of a sudden is really quite difficult if you know when normality whatever that means has resumed into people's lives and um, that that could be a considerable challenge and um, we've we've seen sort of um, evidence that people are, are, are worrying more anxiety which is obviously understandable you know it's been and it still is such a, a worrying time and worry has this direct impact on our sleep so if you're feeling worried and concerned then you're not feeling in that nice relaxed state to be able to nod off easily and there's worry about all sorts of things like family members financial security you know what the future holds the real worries that people have got and another thing that we've seen a lot of is increasing screen time so people have been using screens much more and they've been using those to work, to do schoolwork, to connect with loved ones, to keep friendships going. And while that's got huge benefits in terms of sleep, it can also be quite detrimental in some cases. Um, so, you know, some research suggests that the blue light from the screens can reduce the sleep hormone melatonin from being produced, so make it harder to nod off. Um, and we also know that screens are quite sort of engaging and entertaining. Um, so the screen time is sort of another issue that we've seen um, impacting on sleep, certainly. So a bit of a mixed bag, but um, certainly see lots of sleep issues occurring and referrals to the charity have just been sky high. 
following on from that, how can we maybe alter our routines at this time to make sure that we are getting a good night's sleep? Yeah, so it's all about consistency with sleep. And um, we often talk about bedtime routines and people think about children, but actually we all benefit from routine. And it is all to do with this body clock that we've got running internally. And um, it is sort of very likely that your body clock runs precisely on a 24-hour cycle. So therefore, what we need to do is to pin it to a good cycle by use of routines. Uh, and we do things in the daytime in terms of routines, like um, you'll have lunch at roughly the same time. Um, and it's the same with bedtime. So actually what we do is we build up the sleep drive during the day. So we wake up in the morning, hopefully refreshed. And then as we go through the day, we sort of become more and more tired until by our bedtime, we are ready to fall asleep. So we need to sort of consider the sleep drive. And it's tempting sometimes to have a nap, especially, for example, if people have been furloughed and have just got into the habit of like, oh, I'll just have a nice afternoon nap now. And then what happens is it reduces that sleep drive and then you're not tired until much later, which may have been absolutely fine at that point. But if you're sort of returning to work, it's no longer fine. Um, so it's about making sure that sleep drive increases so that by the time you get into bed, you are tired and it's having roughly that regular bedtime. A wind down time beforehand. So you can't just suddenly go from... Um, being sort of highly stimulated doing whatever activity you're doing to going to sleep about an hour to sort of wind down start to relax um, dim the lights so that the melatonin starts to increase naturally because that's what makes you feel sleepy maybe have a warm bath because that can be helpful too and what's really key is this set wake-up time as well so people focus on bedtime but actually having a set wake-up time is really helpful to keep that body clock on track. And, of course, what we know is, like, you may do that in the week if you're working, and then what happens on a Saturday or Sunday, you think, oh, I can have a nice lie-in, and you still wake up. <laughs> That's evidence that it actually works. So consistency is, like, the key message about sleep. Thank you. Okay, cool. And so if we, if some people are having longer lines on the weekend, is that, are we then having too much sleep, and is that a bad thing? Um, so some people can have a long lie-in, and it doesn't affect them at all. They can still be tired at around about the usual time that night, and it's not a problem. Other people might have a very long lie-in, and then Saturday evening, think, oh, I'm not as tired now, and then stay up later. And then Sunday, it's a bit of a cycle, because then they're having this other, other really long lie-in, because actually it's not a lie-in, it's now become part of their sleep. So it's become part of the eight hours that they need. Um, and then it comes to Sunday night, and they think, oh, I need to go to bed a bit earlier, because I've got to be up early for work. Go to bed earlier, can't sleep. Well, the reason they can't sleep, they've not built up enough of that sleep drive during the daytime. So it's not that they've got a sleep problem as such, but then you lie there and you think, I need to get to sleep because I've got work in the morning and you've got the anxiety going on and that makes you stop being able to go to sleep. So a, a lying is not anything for people to become sort of concerned about, you know, can be needed, can be enjoyable. But actually, if you're finding it's impacting on nighttime sleep, then you really need to get into those regular sort of sleep schedules um, and that, that will help. Mm -hmm.
I feel like it's very relatable. I feel like a lot of us all have the same thought process, so that's really cool. Um, I guess we kind of touched on this with screen time and stuff, but I was going to ask about some of the barriers that are going to stop us from having a good night's sleep. Yeah, screen time could be one. I mean, there will be people who um, can sort of answer emails in bed that are work-related, turn the laptop off and go to sleep so it doesn't affect them. Uh, there are other people who um, screen time could really affect um, and impact on the sleep. So what I always say to people who speak to me about sleep issues is, Actually, if you're using that screen, whether it be like a laptop, a phone, a TV, in the hour before bed, just try stopping that and seeing if there's any difference. Um, we've got to sort of plan this run up to bedtime. We've got to think about what is relaxing, um, what are the sorts of activities that we we enjoy doing, but that could also aid the sleep process rather than working against it. So screens are certainly one of the barriers that we, we come up against. Um, I think it's also society is 24-7. So there's messages pinging in all the time and there's that sort of fear of missing out or the fear that you've got to respond now and um, you're not getting the rest as you, as you perhaps used to do. And it's also things in terms like media. So before, I mean, I'm going back um, to when I was a child, the TV used to go off at night time. There was nothing to do other than sleep. We didn't have this constant media in the background. It was boring at night time. And now there's all sorts of distractions and you can lose yourself in a box set, um, lose track of time. And, you know, it certainly um, does have a huge impact on sleep, most definitely. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, especially like just scrolling before bed, making sure you feel like you're up to date with things and then I'm so guilty of that. So yeah, definitely kind of getting into a routine of putting it down. Um, I was also going to ask about kind of like diet, if that affects kind of eating things, but you know, so many myths about get, what foods will give you nightmares and things like that. Is there certain foods that you should avoid before bed? Yeah, so uh, diet is a really interesting one. And I find that when people are going to start to make some sleep changes, sometimes it can seem overwhelming. Um, they're not quite sure where to begin because what we sort of explore at the charity is what is causing the sleep issues because it's not until you've unpicked that that you can start to work out what to do. Um, and diet is a pretty quick one that you can change and it can be sort of the first starting point. Uh, what I'd say about diet is um, there's still a lot more research that we need to fully understand the impact of um, how what we eat does impact on sleep. But we've got to be mindful about things like sugar. Um, and sometimes with the best will in the world, you can be having something that you think is incredibly healthy and it's giving a load of sugar just before bedtime. So I'm going to sort of confess here to one of the things that I did wrong as a parent. And this is what led me to set the charity up. I was the parent who tried everything to get the child to sleep and this child just would not sleep. It was horrific. 
and he was always unwell, you know, just with colds and things like that. So <laughs> I took to squeezing fresh orange juice, which I thought was a really good thing to do. But actually, on reflection, he was having like quite a lot of sugar in this orange juice just before bed, which wasn't particularly helpful. So it's looking at um, if the sugar's coming from anywhere. Um, energy drinks are another thing, so caffeinated products. And sometimes there's caffeine in um, things that we give our children. So checking things like sugar and caffeine content in nighttime drinks. So generally we kind of go, oh, hot chocolate and a biscuit, good sort of supper time snack. Actually, no, because it's sort of sugar-based. So it's just reflecting on what we are actually having. Um, milk is uh, can be a good sort of drink to have a, at bedtime. Um, cereal, as long as they're not sugar coated, can be sort of a good sort of nutritious snack. Porridge, that kind of thing, can be helpful. Um, and in terms of the things that might give you nightmares, so yeah, there's different things written about cheese, for example. Um, and it depends what you read as to um, what findings are. But there's some suggestion that. The fact that cheese gives you nightmares comes from Christmas Carol and Scrooge blaming seeing the ghosts on eating a crumb of mouldy old cheese. So uh, just those sorts of things to bear in mind. But if you eat cheese and you think, oh, I shouldn't have had that because I'm going to have a nightmare, you may be more likely to have a nightmare too. So it's whether some of it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're a bit anxious now that you've you've eaten that cheese. Yeah, definitely. Um... So I know you mentioned about how your son kind of inspired you to set up the charity. Um, do you have any kind of tips for parents out there who may be listening that are struggling? And how, how do you guys at the charity work to support parents? Yeah, so um, my first thing that I would say is I thought I tried everything. So if parents are listening, I would say is lose hope. And it's about getting the right kind of support and unfortunately that's not always available nationally which is why i set the charity up um it's very much a postcode lottery in this country um so we've got sleep services in certain areas where we're commissioned by the nhs but we don't have funding um across the whole country so what i would say is contact the charity let's find out if there's any way that we can support you we, we're working really hard to develop national services and we launched a manifesto in the house of commons in march to try and campaign for this increased awareness about the need for sleep support because it's fundamental for families mental health emotional well-being um, but we are training practitioners so uh, we train sleep practitioners from um, all different kinds of backgrounds so within the nhs um, we train them from education backgrounds so it may be that there's um somebody who's been trained in your locality as well because that's the best way that we can sort of spread our our work so ask for some support ask for some help um because there are things that can certainly improve sleep cool definitely thank you so much and um do you guys work on referrals from gps like should parents go to their gp or should they just contact you um, again, it depends on the area. Um, so in some areas, GPs can refer into us, yeah. Um, in other areas, um, we've got funding. So for example, across Lincolnshire, we've got lottery funding and parents can self-refer um, to us. So if uh, families just get in touch directly, we'll be able to let them know whether there is anything in their area. So 
I also saw on your website um, how you guys were speaking um, about how sleep should be incorporated into wellbeing strategies kind of in the workplace. Um, so how do you think that can be facilitated and how can more organisations help with that? Yeah, I think there's something about awareness again around sleep and the impact that sleep deprivation can have in the workplace. And, you know, when you look at risk assessments that take place in different workplaces, um, sleep poses huge risks in certain industries. So if you've got drivers who are driving and sleep deprived, or if you've got construction workers working at heights who are sleep deprived, huge, huge consequences. And what we need to be doing is to be getting sleep education in there because the vast majority of us were never taught about sleep in school. It's just not something that we're taught about. And what we try to do is empower people with sleep knowledge because what happens then is you can start to identify possible reasons for your sleep issues and you will then be able to put in the strategies to make it an improvement. So we, we believe very much that um, corporate organisations should be embracing sleep within wellbeing strategies. Um, we are able to offer things like webinars whereby we can educate around sleep so that um, individuals are able to have those tools in their toolkit if you like to improve their own sleep their own sleep health which in turn will improve physical health mental health and productivity because we also know if we're sleep deprived um, there's a link between the number of days that are lost through work absence through work lateness all those kind of things so sleep deprivation actually costs the economy but an employee is very unlikely to phone up and say i'm not coming in today because i'm tired because yeah. it's just not seen as being acceptable. Yet, if you cause an accident when you're driving because you're tired, you know, that is an offence. So we are probably not aware of how many people have got sleep issues. I mean, statistically, it's about 40% of the population because no. we don't talk about it. Um, and we need to start talking about it. We need to recognise it's a problem. We need to recognise things like shift work is really tough on people's well-being. And we need to start to give some strategies and support around that. So, yeah, organisations can get in touch with us and we will um, deliver webinars um, to their employees. Amazing. That, I think that's so important as well, like you say, because some people's lifestyles aren't geared up to give them a good night's sleep. If you're in like a really busy organisation in the city and you have to be in at 7am and then you don't leave until 11, you've not really got time to have the wind down or to have like a good routine so yeah definitely I think that's something we should be talking about more it's almost a bit of a taboo actually isn't it saying that you have it is yeah there's there's kind of that link around if you need uh, if you need too much sleep or what somebody perceives as too much sleep that's laziness and it's almost being glorified you know that if you can get by on a few hours sleep, then that's a bit of a badge of honour. And actually, this has got to be addressed. This has got to be stopped. Because if somebody was having half the amount of food that they need to be able to be healthy, people would be alarmed by that. But we're just completely undervaluing sleep. And I think this goes back right to early years and educating young children is where the sort of real opportunity lies here because what happens and if you speak to younger children about sleep is they'll tell you it's boring they don't value it 
Um, and you listen to the way parents often speak about sleep and they will say things like, if you're good, you can stay up late tonight. Now that's like saying, if you're good, I'm going to sleep deprive you. That is not a reward. That's not a treat. It's actually a form of torture. Uh, you know, <laughs> when we're taking it to the extreme. But it's what, it's what parents do. And if children misbehave, I'm going to send you to your bedroom. Oh, so the bedroom's a place where I'm sent and it's not a place. All these things we've got to address. We want sleep to be viewed as a positive, as the bedroom to be viewed as a, a nice retreat where we want to be, and sleep to be recognised as this, um, well, it could give you so many sort of superpowers, if you like, in terms of the way that you can function when you're well-rested. So it's just trying to change the whole thinking about sleep and celebrating its importance um, rather than depriving ourselves of it and then thinking that that's a good thing because it's most certainly not. I think that's so true. I remember when I was younger and you never wanted to go to bed. It's like you dread going to bed. It's just, like you say, boring. And then you get or you become kind of a teenager or a bit older and you can't wait to go to bed because you're actually, you know, you do see the value of it more. But do some people need more sleep just in, in themselves or do some people can function on less? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we get a bit fixated on numbers of hours sleep. So um, you will see, particularly around children, sort of charts, and this is how much sleep an eight-year-old should have. There's, there's something that goes sort of viral around the internet every September time usually, and I saw it again this week. And it's sort of telling parents what time their children should go to bed and get up. Um, at a certain age and I, I had a look at that because I've got a 10 year old and um, according to that chart it was sort of an hour and a half less than the amount my son needs um, so if I'd not been educated about sleep I would probably be sleep depriving him of an hour and a half each night because I would be saying oh that's what it says he needs and he would be quite willing to be sleep deprived because he would like to stay on his Xbox far longer or whatever it is that he's doing um, and what we've got to recognise is that we've all got different sleep needs. So some people can uh, function perfectly fine on less sleep, and that's okay, as long as they're not appearing to be sleep deprived. Um, others need more. Um, it's not just about the quantity, it's about the quality. So you could be having 10 hours sleep a night, but you're sort of waking up every 90 minutes, and it's rubbish quality sleep. So it's not maybe as good as somebody who's having real good quality sleep for sort of six and a half hours or whatever um and it's hard to compare one person to another because the needs are so different so we will sort of say these are rough guidelines around sleep because sometimes as well particularly with children some of the sleep expectations are unrealistic that people may have so they may be expecting children to sleep for much longer periods than um they should be sleeping so they can be useful in that in that extent but generally it's how you feel on the amount of sleep you've had and another one with children that makes it tricky is quite often one of the symptoms we see of sleep deprivation in youngsters is hyperactivity so families will go my child doesn't need sleep because look at them they're on the go and actually that's a symptom of it so um, we just need to be aware of that as well so it might not be an indication of how much sleep they need but as adults we're pretty good at knowing that i've had that many hours sleep it was good sleep and i feel good i've actually had that many hours I'm struggling today, it's harder to concentrate, I'm not waking up feeling refreshed, um, and kind of working out where that 
that sort of ideal might be for ourselves. So it's more about knowing what to look for, especially in your children and kind of spotting signs. Amazing. Um, so I also wanted to speak about sleep education, which we touched on, but also awareness and how um, a lot of people can set up as sleep experts without um, much kind of qualification in that area. And some of the dangers of that if people are being given misinformation. Yeah, um, so sleep's not regulated um, in this country and there are some difficulties around that and using sort of a behavioural approach to sleep, which is what we do at the charity, so uh, just to explain what that means. So we don't deal with medical sleep disorders, so sometimes um, children or adults might present with something that looks like obstructive sleep apnea, so where, where there's breathing issues at night time, or narcolepsy, where they're sort of falling asleep frequently. These are very medical things and we are trained to uh, refer into the appropriate systems for that. What we look at are the sleep issues um, that are sort of more behaviourally based, so we'll do an assessment around that and then we'll put in strategies around um, improving sort of sleep hygiene, so the things that happen in the run-up to bedtime, improving things around um, bedroom environment, diet, those kind of lifestyle changes are, are the ones that we look at. Um, and it's a relatively new thing so it's not been particularly well researched although we've got a, an evidence base behind our work now to show that it is effective um, so just to give you a statistic we work with um, families of children who've got ADHD diagnosis uh, or were looked after and on average using our intervention gave them an additional 2.4 hours sleep per night so that's a big increase um, but because it's not regulated anybody can sort of set up and um, offer private sleep intervention and because we're in this situation where in many areas there is no sleep support uh, people may be tempted to sort of buy into that and some of the you know the private sleep consultants are uh, incredibly well qualified and um, have got appropriate qualifications do not get me wrong um, and but the difficulty is it's it's trying to work out if you're a member of the public where you go with your sleep support if you are in that situation um, and it's something that we as a charity have got concerns around because obviously people are vulnerable as well when they're sleep deprived so you know sleep deprivation leads people um, down a very dark path at times and we want to make sure that whatever support they're getting whether um that is privately or through a service like ours is evidence-based and safe it's about keeping people safe so part of our work as well um, and this was part of the work around the manifesto that we launched is to set up an all-party parliamentary group so that we can actually um, start to sort of influence government policy around sleep so it, it, it is there it is on the radar it is um, the questions are being asked about it in the house it's appearing sort of on green papers around things like mental health etc um, so we can start to have an impact in those kind of areas so important it sounds amazing it sounds like you're doing really great work and i can't wait to see it kind of develop and we'll have a lot more information about it in hopefully in the near future so um you're launching the national teen sleep hub 
did you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes, that's right. So uh, one of the areas that we identified as a real need was um, teenagers and uh, getting sleep information out to them because their body clocks change, which means that naturally they start to sleep later and then it can be quite tricky to get them up in the morning, particularly with these early school start times. Um, and we were very aware that during lockdown, this, um, you know, the delayed sleep phase that they typically have has certainly sort of taken over a lot of the young people's lives. So we were delighted to get some funding from Department of Health around um, the mental health um, emergency funding for coronavirus. And what we've done with the funding is we have established youth advisory boards who have helped us to design some materials which are going up live on a teen sleep hub, um, hopefully within the next four weeks. Um, and we are also training sleep practitioners. And we're going to launch a live web chat in the new year so that young people can get access to um, some information about sleep because what they've been telling us is they want evidence-based information. They're worried about what they're getting from the internet, uh, very insightful about it. And we're also trialing at the moment um, some training for professionals around sleep and um, a journal that young people can keep because the other thing that they've told us is while they do like tech and online things, they actually want something sort of tangible to be able to hold and some information. And so we're just developing that and to see how that goes. Um, and that's happening at the moment and we should have the results of that by Christmas. So lots and lots going on. So much going on but amazing work and I think it's also about knowing where to go as a teenager if you're going through that it's kind of like knowing that you they can come to you and get the right information I think that's so important so really yeah, definitely fantastic well thank you so much it's been really great to chat with you thank you for coming on charity chat I feel like I've learned a lot so did you have maybe a top tip that we just wanted to end on? Top tip to a good night's sleep? Um, I think the top tip's got to be consistency. So no matter, no matter what you do, in terms of times try and keep it consistent in terms of environment. So if you go to sleep with um, the TV on, it basically has to stay on all night because if you make changes, it's going to wake you up. Um, absolute consistency, wake up time. That's, that's the big one, the consistency element. Okay amazing cool and just kind of having the routine because what if you're if you have a job that maybe you don't sleep at home maybe if you're like an air hostess or I don't know if that's the correct term but if you're sleeping in lots of different places regularly how will that affect it yeah it can affect it so certainly where you're sleeping um so I I usually sleep away a lot um, I do a lot of traveling to deliver sleep training across the country and I always find that I sleep differently in hotels because you are in an unfamiliar environment and it's absolutely normal to wake several times a night and we sort of dip in and out of sleep cycles so we come to these points of uh, partial awakening and if you're in a different environment that can cause you to wait fully because you're kind of a bit like where you know where am I a bit disorientated um, so if you are sleeping in different environments sometimes it can be helpful if it's possible to take things with you that 
sort of connect you to home. So it might be traveling with your favorite pillow or, um, you know, a cover or when we work with children, if they're staying in different environments and that's causing them some issues, sometimes they use things like the, you know, like the sleeping bag. So they're taking their environment with them. Um, so it kind of smells, feels the same, even though it may be different. And if you could try to recreate the same conditions that you've got, you're not going to be able to do it perfectly. But if you, if you like to sleep in a really darkened environment at home, it may be you can get sort of um, fabrics that you can use for to, to travel with. Um, so if you arrive somewhere and it's really light and you're like, I can't sleep in this, you can cover the windows, etc. So it's just thinking about what you need to sleep well and is there any of that that you can kind of make portable and take with you and sadly you know mine's my bed I just love my bed it's like the comfiest bed in the world and I always miss it and um, unfortunately it's not very portable <laughs> <laughs> for that very honest and open chat about sleep. The Sleep Charity are doing a fantastic job at raising awareness on the topic of sleep and the risks associated with a lack of it. The charity's mission to empower people through knowledge by running webinars within the corporate arena is a great step in helping sleep to become more openly discussed and incorporated into wellbeing strategy. Vicky raised the point that sleep as a reason for annual leave or running late is often seen as unacceptable, which can therefore lead to people not speaking up about their sleeping problems. But she also mentioned that 40% of the adult population suffer with sleep deprivation. So if that is you listening to this, then please know that you're not alone and that I really hope you find comfort in the words that Vicky was saying and that it gives you the confidence to speak to someone at work if you are struggling with your sleep because it's not something to be embarrassed about it's something to to work on and hopefully people will become more accepting in the future i'm really excited to see the next steps for the sleep charity and i really believe in their mission sleep is so important to our well-being as vicky said and i'm glad to see that we are moving more towards an open discussion on the topic So thank you, listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear feedback either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, of course, Charity People, for helping us to grow our audience and develop better shows than ever before, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksamit for our beautiful website. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a good night's sleep tonight and I look forward to speaking to you soon.